Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. From our virtual studios in the Netherlands. And from my computer here in Camarillo, California. It is time once again for the Marketing Geeks. And we have a jam-packed show for you today. Uh, are you uh, a, an entrepreneur? Are you uh, ever running into issues where you can't overcome your obstacles? We have the solution for you. Have you ever thought about using horses to part of your business? Well, oh my God, I'm so glad that you uh, you finished that sentence in a way <laughs> that was good because I wasn't sure where that was going. But yes, we are going to talk about entrepreneurship overcoming obstacles and horses if you like horses and being an entrepreneur and challenging yourself this is the show for you if you like horses you're gonna love love this episode because our guest today is absolutely incredible and with that ladies and gentlemen time once again for a fabulous episode of the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Welcome to the show, everybody. We are so happy that you are here, all seven of our listeners. But before we get into the meat of the show, we're going to pay some bills. So hang tight and we'll be right back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, I am uh, excited about this uh, next guest. Uh, this is uh, someone who is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and an income growth expert specializing in healing women grow their businesses to multiple six figures and beyond. And she's also a host of Living Forward TV, an online show designed to educate entrepreneurs on how to make big leaps in their income quickly. And She's also a big horse geek, and, uh, which I think is really uh, amazing, and I, I want to get into that. And so without further ado, we would like to introduce Nafisa Shireen, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. I, I'm, I'm really uh, stoked about it. And you, you have a, a, a really interesting story. So uh, why don't you give us a, kind of the, the short version of, of like how you ended up doing what you're doing? How I ended up doing what I was doing? Well, I had a long career in corporate. Um, I worked in, in accounting and business development. I worked in the mining industry, actually. And I, I actually geeked out on that because I actually loved it. It was a lot of fun um, until it wasn't. And uh, and then one day, I, when I couldn't take it anymore, I just kind of quit my job over a donair. Like I threw the donair at the cupboard and said, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I left behind a 20-year career. Um, but during that time, I had worked with coaches uh, to help me develop my career because it was I had a very successful career. I, I'd made it to the top in a man's world. I was vice president of a mining company. Um, 
And you weren't like in there with the with the pick. No, and the, I only over went underground once, and it was not good. We had investors there, and I had a panic attack. <laughs> so oh no, not good. Um, no, I was, but I would go out to the camps and, and work sites and stay out of the mines. Um, but um, when I did, when I when I left. Um, my whole career, the part I enjoyed the most was developing people. Even though I had a very left brain career, I really enjoyed developing people. And so when I left, my own coach kind of said, hey, did you maybe think about something a little different than going back into another mining job? And that's how I wound up building my own business and doing what I'm doing. Um, not just because it was something I thought I could make money at. I actually didn't think I could make money at coaching when I did it. I thought it'd be like a little side job. I did it because I loved it because of what happened for me when I had a coach. And I believed in it really strongly and because it changed my life. I went from five figures to near seven figures just working with a coach in corporate, which people don't think is possible. So that's why I love coaching and why I became one. That's pretty incredible. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you, it, it, you said that you work primarily with women. I think that women need, you know, definitely need help. And as you said, it's a, it's a man's world. Do you find that to, to be shifting nowadays? I mean, what's the climate like, especially uh, for women in the workplace nowadays? You know, it's really funny because I was just interviewed on a couple of radio spots about this. In Canada, it's trending that less than 50% of boardrooms have women in them and only 20%, I think, have more than one woman on the board. Um, but I I believe the shift has to happen with women because it's not like men are out there saying, let's keep women out of the boardroom. Um, it might be an unconscious bias. And at the same time, women buy into that bias. And so they're not putting themselves out there. And that can translate whether you're, you're, you have your own business, uh, you work for somebody else. If you believe that you don't have the chances or you don't have access to capital or you're not as powerful or you won't be taken as seriously, doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or a, a corporate executive, you're, you're not going to create the results for yourself in your life. And so I, I firmly believe it all starts on the inside. Um, there's definitely bias out there, but if the bias was 100% fact, we wouldn't see women succeeding and we do see women succeeding. So what's the difference? So what, what do you think you learned in the, in the mining industry? Now, what, what type of mining were you into? Gold mining. Gold mining. Well, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty cool. That's a kind of a yeah. cool metaphor as well here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as a as a gold miner, or running uh, running as a executive in the gold mining industry, what what did you learn there that applies to to coaching now? And like, what um, what lessons have helped you kind of succeed in a man's world, or, or like take you know get into the boardroom, get into the uh, get into the those head uh, you know spots? Like, what would you what would you say? There'd be two things. I think the, the first one primarily is, I mean, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are, or how talented you are, how educated you are. Um, skills are one thing, but it's the emotional skills and how you show up and who you're being and how you interact with other people makes all the difference. Um, corporately and entrepreneurially, it's, it's, you need to be two different people. <laughs> In the corporate world, you need to be seeking consensus, getting other people's opinions, getting buy-in from about 30 people to have your idea go forward. Uh, or it'll be squashed. As an entrepreneur, you have to have the courage to just go do what you want. So that was a bit of unlearning. But the key point was, it's all about who you were being. Um, the second thing, I think the other really important thing I learned from mining specifically, is nothing's going to go how you planned it. Nothing. You can, you can plan forever, which they do. Um, and then when you actually come to implement, it's, it's not even going to remotely look like what you planned. And you have to be able to adapt in real time. Um, and, and as entrepreneurs, that's you, you can skip the year-long planning. Just you want to have some structure, but be ready to adapt in real time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I uh, uh, it's funny because when I, you know, one of the mind shifts that really helped me in life being an entrepreneur was just, you know, I, I went through this uh, period of time where I was unable to find a job for like six months and kind of being at the mercy of other uh, other people to make money was, uh, was very, very challenging because it, it, it was disempowering. But once I really started my own business to have that shift of saying, well, uh, there's money out there. It's sitting on tables. I just have to go get it. And, and it doesn't matter, uh, that there's a no here. There'll be a yes. As long as I keep knocking on doors, uh, and, and just putting that power back into my own court, knowing that I can always make money no matter what I'm doing in life, no matter where I am, uh, certainly changes the, the, the conversation. Is this, is this something that you have found is, is something that people need to overcome? What do you see the biggest challenges as being a business coach? 
I, I would say that's probably one of the bigger things. Um, I, I, I tend not to work with brand new entrepreneurs anymore, just I, because there's a lot of growing they have to go through, even if they've been a really successful corporate executive. And I know that because I was one. I could negotiate multi-eight-figure contracts, no problem. I couldn't ask for $25 for myself when I started my own <laughs> business. <laughs> and, but because um, it's just different. You're, 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 coming, mm-hmm. you're, you're stepping into your own power, right? Versus having a big name behind you. Um, but making that decision that you can make as much money as you want is it's a really big leap for people to get to when they do it's, it's cool. Um, and it's life changing, but I don't know how many people that I have met that have said, well, I just want to replace my salary, not realizing that everything's open to them. And when you come from a corporate world where they set salary bands and you have to fit into a description that somebody else said that you've got to fit into, there's a big mindset shift that has to happen for, for an entrepreneur to realize I don't have to fit into anybody's decision. Uh, on what I'm worth. Like I need to figure out what the results are that I create for people and then charge what I want to charge and, and get paid. Cause there will always be somebody who is paying what you're charging. You just got to go yeah. find them. In the same, in the same kind of area. I, I think um, what I've seen too, from early entrepreneurs is that if they've come from a corporate background, they get trapped in that hourly mindset too, where yes. they, they want to know like, okay, I used to make, you know, $80 an hour at my old job or 50, you know, $50 an hour, whatever, if you, if you calculated it out. And they can't wrap their head around the fact that they're working for less than that because as an entrepreneur, you're going to put in a lot of time, especially in the beginning. And a lot of expenses that they haven't thought about, right? And yeah, so if you're yeah, trying to replace your salary, you're cutting your standard in living by like at least half, if not more. Yes. <laughs> so I always joke that uh, entrepreneurs are people who work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. Yeah, but you can work those 80 hours when you want them, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as somebody that worked in corporate for a long time, I mean, I, I gladly work 80 hours a week to avoid the 40 uh, of that I experienced in the corporate world. They were yeah. so miserable for me. Um, so tell me, like, when you're working with a client, can you walk us through kind of some of the exercises that you do, some of the, the basic, like, if, if you take on a client, let's say um, somebody comes to you, they, they, they hire you to be their coach. So what are the, what are the common, um, some of the other common blocks that you're seeing with them? Like, what are some of the other common mindset shifts that you're helping them to make? And, and kind of what are some of the, I mean, don't go, you don't have to show us the exercises, but like, what are kind of some of the things that you take them through? What's the journey you take the clients? Through? How's that? So I, I mean, every client I work with is, is unique. I don't follow like a seven step formula, right? I'm, I'm trained in, in, in a lot of modalities. Yeah. Um, I always say like business is really simple. People are really complicated. So we have to get, so where I would say is the same thing that I do with everybody is I really want to get to the heart of the person. So when we start off on a first VIP day, we're not talking marketing, we're not talking sales, we're not talking anything that you would think is business um, because I want to know who they are, where they're stopping themselves, what they believe, what they've created and what's stopping them from creating the next because we we have to dig under the surface. And so there's different exercises that I can take them through. I mean, there's, I mean, there's hundreds <laughs> with all the okay. things I've okay. trained in, but it really depends on the, on the person. And, and usually I, I find that I love to always try to get to the truth of what's going on. I think this is the most profound is when somebody comes with a problem, it's always a symptom. If they don't have enough money, then we dig deeper. Why is that? Well, I don't have enough clients. Why is that? Well, I don't have enough leads. Well, why is that? We keep deep digging. Like somewhere we're going to get to a belief. I mean, sure. Like if somebody's doing a launch or something and something's not working, you have to look at all your, your metrics and your marketing and, and everything that's not working. But if you are repeating the same pattern over and over and over and over again, there's something deeper going on. And so we need to get to the base of that because it doesn't matter then. Like if, if somebody's putting money out to do these surface things, they'll waste it unless they solve that internal problem first, their, their belief or how they're showing up or um, if they're not. Like one of the things that I, I have, and, and it's funny, it's not something I deliberately went into business to help people with, but it seems to happen a lot is just about everybody that I work with, um, especially entrepreneurs are somewhat established. They have a stream of income that is paying the bills, but is sucking their soul dry. And so they're not necessarily thriving because they're working really hard. They've created a job for themselves and they don't really love what they're doing, but they're afraid to let it go. So one of the things we really work on is coming into alignment with who they are so that they can create that business. Now, obviously there has to be a market for it. You have to do some market research, but generally it's just about how you package and tweak it to get it right. You have to, if they're not fully in alignment, they're not going to be creating what they want because it's going to feel like a prison sentence. And so that uh, was unexpected, but that's, 
I would say probably the the biggest thing we work with. And then and then it's those next steps. Like what are the boundaries they need to put in place? What are the fears they have? Um, and I find most people have one of three core fears of you know either being unlovable, unworthy, or unsafe. So we get to the core of that to help them work forward. You know, like one of the simplest things you can do to make money is pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And, and nobody wants to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Nobody wants to do that, even though they can make a sale. So we've got to get to the bottom of what that is. So there's a lot of just really finding out what's driving that person, I would say would be the, the core piece. And then we adapt to what they need. So exercises, you know, there's a lot of NLP work that I do in mind shift work. Nice. I do muscle testing to really help them understand what's going on at a subconscious level. Then okay. um, we do whole brain exercises to help them come into alignment. So we bring the body into the mind work. And I work with horses too. I use horses in helping entrepreneurs. So there's just all different things depending on what, what the person needs. I, I definitely want to get into uh, horse therapy here in a second, because that's really fascinating to me. But uh, one of the things that you touched on that I, I'd love to um, just find out kind of where you're coming from with this is that, um, you know, there's a, there's large scale burnout that's happening with a lot of people. In fact, uh, just today I was reading that the world health organization, uh, is now de- de- deeming, uh, burnout as, as a medical condition. Right. Uh, and, uh, partly it has to do in, in my opinion with kind of the structure of, uh, just, Capitalism. I'm not anti. I'm, I'm definitely pro-capitalist, but uh, I do think that there's also uh, a, a kind of a, a structure in which people are working themselves right into the ground, and uh, they're working longer hours. They're being. They're, they have to perform even more and more. Uh, it, it, the bar is always raised. So, so how do you deal with someone like? Let's say that we have a listener out there, one of our seven listeners who is, you know, they're an entrepreneur, they're grinding it, they're really trying to do their best, but they're just, they're, 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 their heart is starting to not be into it because of burnout. How do you deal with something like that? I mean, it's a real problem. They need to just stop. Like, you're not going to be effective when you're past the point of being effective. And I know it's scary to stop, but sometimes that's the most productive thing you can do. I mean, I've, I've had to do that at points in my life, you know, um, just to take that break. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing out there in, in the world with, with people striving and going forward is in, in my opinion is a combination of two things. One, they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on things outside themselves as that success will be given to them. So they have to prove themselves and they're not really thinking where they can go do it themselves. Uh, And also it comes from a general belief in lack. Um, Now I'm certainly not one of those people that believes you can just sit there and, you know, have good thoughts and (laughs) create everything you want by just thinking good, happy thoughts. You have to take action, but we want to be taking action in the right things. And if something's not making money in your business, quit doing it. And that's what I'll see where people just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's not making money if they just tweak this or tweak that instead of maybe taking a five degree shift or doing something a little bit different. Um, One of the things I was willing to do in the beginning was to do things I didn't want to do that brought cash in quickly, but I had to set boundaries on the time on that so they could develop what I wanted to do. Um, Can you give us an example of like what, what that experience was like for you? Sure. So, I mean, one of the things was taking on mining contracts when I left the mining world and I was done with it just to do part-time accounting work. Um, I did this one particular thing that, I mean, I hated every minute of it, but I needed to create a cash injection in my business. And it allowed me to just work on it two days a week um, for about three months. And I made $30,000 at it. And I was, and it helped me tremendously. And that was helping. I mean, I'm in Canada. So we have a a tax here called GST. This company had been disallowed, I think like a million dollars worth of GST. I took it on to help them get it back. (laughs) I probably should have charged them more when I think about they got over a million dollars back for my 30 grand. But at the time it wasn't work that I was, that wasn't my sole purpose work. It wasn't something I wanted to do. Now I'm not advocating going out and slaving over things you don't like to do, but this was a temporary three month contract that allowed me to put some cash into my business. And then in my business, I could focus on the things I needed to do, like developing my programs. Because when you're, like as a coach, when you're developing programs, you're not selling your programs. And that's a big fear I see a lot of entrepreneurs have, especially coaches. They don't go out and sell because they don't know what to sell. So I was able to take a few months and not have that pressure of income so I could create what I needed. And then, you know, 
And then when I was done with that, I was done with anything to do with accounting because that was a horrible, it was a horrible job, <laughs> but I got them their million dollars back. <laughs> what percentage would you say, if you had to give it like a percentage, what percentage would you say is mindset versus, you know, pure action taking? If you were to think about this in terms of that, I don't know if you've ever thought about it in terms of percentages, but we, we, could you assign something like that? If, um, if you were going to say like, what percentage like mindset as an entrepreneur versus uh, the action that you have to take? So... That I, I feel like mindset is 80%. Action and strategy is the next 20% mm -hmm. in terms of importance. But you can't just be putting good thoughts into your mind for 80% of the time. You need to be taking action 100% of the time, if that makes any sense. But I think a lot of times we're going to look at, well, what's my next strategy or what's the next thing I need to do? Um, what's What are the Facebook ads I should do? And we're not actually looking at the core issue. So... Um, all the systems in the world don't work if you're not willing to do it or you're not doing the work. So we have to get our, our mind and our thinking and our beliefs straight in line. So those, so that those actual actions, we, we take them a hundred percent. We don't hold back. Um, you know, we don't change our copy because we're worried somebody's going to be offended by it. Like people do that all the time, right? This is perfect. No, somebody's going to be upset, right? And we take a word out or something, right? But maybe that word is what's going to attract your right people, but you've got to be confident doing that. I mean, I know the first like four or five years, I was so vanilla because I didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Now I don't, now I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, we, we talk about that, you know, part of finding your niche is is to just kind of really uh, have your own voice and it doesn't, you know, uh, in fact, in, in large corporations, you see them really making controversial stands on several different types of subjects uh, that would normally kill a business. Now it's kind of uh, part of the course. People, people want to be behind a business that stands for something. Um, and this is, you know, uh, Justin and I have talked about the, the nature of telling your story as a, uh, as a business or uh, a, a coach, you, you have an interesting story yourself. And one of the things that you mentioned is when you changed your story, you changed your life. Can you, can you talk about a little bit about how we tell ourselves stories and what, what that process was for you and, and kind of your philosophy around that? And what part of you is offensive too? I want to know that part too. What part of me is offensive? <laughs> I've worked on my sites for 10 years. Come on. <laughs> I, I have no political correctness filter. Okay, I'll see things, I'm like, I, yeah, that doesn't offend me in any way, shape or form. Um, but um, I, I think for me, um, a lot of my story where I start to change that, I didn't realize I was doing it while I was doing it because I had no experience, I had no education, I had no resources and that I was working in, in the corporate world. But I, I grew up with the story that, you know, my parents were working middle class, that I was a, um, a, a religious and ethnic minority and I lived on the wrong side of the tracks and, you know, you just get your certain level and other people have success. And that's the story I grew up with. And even in my corporate days, and, and I, I'm not going to say it's perfectly healed because what the stories we carry, are, I mean, they come at a cellular level and they're, they carry with us can still be there. Oh, it's someone else is going to do it more than me. And that was something I grew up with all the time. I had to realize that I could actually change that story by changing my opinion about it and deciding like, why not me? Um, you know what, we just recently bought a ranch here just outside of Vancouver. And, you know, Vancouver is not exactly one of the cheapest places to buy property. You know, you get your, you get your tiny little postage stamp for incredible amounts of money. So buying an acreage was not something that I ever thought was possible. And the old me would have just thought that's not for me. But as I've progressed throughout my life, the story has changed into why not me and how me right? And that's the story I start to tell. I don't always get it perfect. And sometimes I st I'll still have my moments of, I, I don't know if I can do it. Um, but I've, I've not let that stop me. So throughout my life, it's always been about just why not me? Why not me? Why not me? And changing that story. And that's something that I feel, um, and it's part of my passion for why I do what I do. Because when I was 20 years old, by all accounts, I had reached the maximum of my potential back in Montreal, working for my dad, just, you know, and I refused to accept that. And so I know that if somebody really wants something, they can make it happen because I did it. I overcame all of that. When I've done a few of these interviews about women in the boardroom, you know, some of the radio hosts are asking me, well, what should the government do? I'm like, the government... 
I said, listen, there's no way you would ever have me sit on a board or sit on an executive team if I was a token woman put there by the board, uh, by the government. It's not going to happen. Women have to go out and not pay attention to those boundaries and things they see and just forget that they're a minority or oppressed or whatever and just focus on what they can do. And that's that's really what's changed my story. I don't have a perfect. <laughs> um, I still fall flat on my face <laughs> from time to time. And I did literally fall flat on my face last year and got seriously injured. So. Is that yeah. off the horse? No, I was just walking. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Fell on concrete. Um, but we can get we can get stopped in our tracks, but we have to just make the decision that we're just, like, that's what my company Living Forward's about is like, as long as you're going forward, you're going to keep progressing. So that's kind of long-winded, but that's, yeah. that's what I'd say is what well, got me. I, I've, studied, I've studied NLP and I, I mean, um, I've totally taken on the same belief system that, you know, we're responsible for what happens to us. Um, mm-hmm. Our outside circumstances are our outside circumstances. We don't have control over them. We have to kind of make do with what's there. And I know there, I know that, it, it, you know, you could take this point to a certain level that can become controversial. If you, you know, if people have external circumstances that are, um, excuse me, people have external circumstances that can be traumatic and things like that. Um, but ultimately if we can kind of reframe our own stories and use them as a form of empowerment. You know, I found that that's the ultimate way to, to kind of bring about change. Is that kind of what you're, I mean, that's kind of what you're describing in my opinion. Is that, is that accurate? Like kind of what I'm saying there? I would agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, we can't, there's a lot of things we can't control, but there's a lot of things we can. And if we decide not to control the things we can control because of something we can't control, we are only hurting ourselves. You know, um, we, Yes, we can vote, but we can't necessarily control who the government is if other people voted in or they make policies or we can't necessarily control if there's a bias in the marketplace or if or if we have a sick family member, we can't control that. But we can make a choice every day to show up for ourselves 100%, give 100% of ourselves and not not let it stop us. We can choose to sell even if something's going on in our personal life or we can choose not to sell, right? And we have to realize it's it's a choice and I, I think that really hit me profoundly when when we this place that we bought needed a lot of work and I had to do a ma- massive not me I hired people to do a massive renovation on our on our grounds on grading the place on on building the the horse facilities and then had to move horses in and and you know, boarding horses and living with horses are two different hobbies altogether <laughs> and <laughs> completely. And, um, I, I could, I had two choices. I could say, I just can't focus on my business right now because it's distracting me. Or I can make the choice to say like, I am going to choose to focus on getting this aligned and take the foot off here. And it was, a, and realizing it wasn't circumstance. It was me saying, I can't, do both very well. So I'm going to pick one. And I picked for two months to focus on completing the renovation, moving the horses in, and then coming back to my business. And did that set me back a little bit? Of course it did. I, you know, but I never blamed circumstance. Um, or I could have, or I could have done the other thing and delayed the horses moving in and continued. So realizing that, yes, yeah, sometimes not everything can happen at once. However, we're always at choice. Yeah, And when we choose to do something, it's so much more empowering. And I think personally, it's really cool that I can build a life and business where I can choose to just not market or take new clients on at the moment and then resume it later. That is very, very cool. You've gotten to that point. Now, was there a point in your journey where, I mean, cause you, you talked about, you know, transitioning from being a gold miner to an entrepreneur. Was there a point when you realized that this is going to work? Was there like a turning point in your journey where you're like, wow, this is actually going to work? And if that was, what was the thing that you discovered in business that kind of let you know that you were going to have success? I'd like to, so, I'd like to hear that. Okay. So that's such a funny question because I mean, how many days there's, it's going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to work. It's not going to work. Is <laughs> the regular roller coaster. But I think the, uh, the, the time it really happened was, um, and I mean, this probably sounds like any cliche story. It was about four years ago. My back was up against the wall. I only had one client looking like she was going to renew. Um, at the time, my husband said, like, you don't need to do this. We, we were in our other house. It was paid for. It was just come and work. Just come and work for me. And I it was like, that is not going to happen. <laughs> and I thought, I am going to make this business work. So I did the thing I didn't want to do. I got on the phone. 
And between <laughs> Christmas and New Year's, I sold six figures. <laughs> God, you know, it's... It, Yeah, I totally relate to that. I remember um, right after I had my son and he was just a few months old and it was uh, November creeping up on December. I had, uh, I had, I I was already late like a week in rent and I had, uh, I had no money coming in. I had like $5 in the bank and it was kind of like that moment where I had to go, well, you know, I, this, this ain't no joke. I gotta, I gotta close something. And uh, actually, Justin and I, at one point, we got on, we, we were both in the same boat. So we just picked up the phone and we just made calls until we closed something. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it really is, if you're hungry enough, you can, you can move mountains. You really can. And, and uh, uh, so it's cool that you were able to overcome all that. Well, and I think as a coach, too, it, it makes me um, more effective for my clients because then I'm less likely to buy their story, too, when they say yeah. what they can't. I'm like, if I can sell six figures between Christmas and New Year's, come on, right? So that was that was a ma- massive turning point for me because the only thing that changed that was my behavior. I just want to say, though, being, you know, being a marketing consultant that uh, Andres and I are both marketing consultants, yeah. uh, it's funny because it's almost like being like a health consultant where, you know, the, the solutions are obvious sometimes. I mean, at least to a certain extent. I mean, there are, you know, there, you know maybe you want to switch to certain like very organic foods and there's certain supplements that are going to make you healthier. But ultimately, you know, like losing weight, things like that, it's going to take more exercise. It's going to take eating healthier. Like it's kind of a basic thing. If you want to, you know, get more business, you know, picking up the phone is one of the obvious solutions. It's just people are looking for the simpler secret solution. And that's, you know, that's part of marketing is trying to sell the, um, trying to sell the, the simple, uh, solution that that's hidden and that everybody, you know, there's like all the successful people have this, this secret that we, you know, we can close people without picking up the phone and people are looking for that easy way out. Uh, but it doesn't always exist. No. And, um, especially when your back's against the wall and, and you don't have a lot of, you know, if you don't have a lot of money behind you and you can't afford to do Facebook ads and things like that, the, you know, the, the answer is often old fashioned, either door to door Cold calling, I mean, old-fashioned marketing still has its place. So, well, let me let me switch gears a little bit here because I'm I'm curious about you know you set up this successful coaching career. So, you know, as far as like the beginning stages of your business, what were the types of things that you did initially to market yourself to get your name out there? Uh, to really kind of boost your career to a certain point? Like, how did you get to the point that you sure. are now? So the well, initially, <laughs> I wouldn't call it successful. Um, I, I, I love to brag that I had a six-figure year my first year, except it was in reverse. I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I was insecure. And so I, I went to a lot of networking groups and I made a classic mistake that I see a lot of new coaches make or entrepreneurs make is they are... Like, I don't believe in going in and being like fake, everything's great at a networking group, but you, you know, there's a point where you're oversharing and it's not a coaching program. You, this is not, this is, this is your, where you're networking to get clients. So you need to be selective on what you, what you do. So I was overly vulnerable and overly shared my first year. So I had hmm. to get over that. Um, then the next year I started speaking, you know, I, I started going on stages. I did the rubber chicken circuit. Um, it was hard to get those speaking gigs and I had to take control. Like there was no evidence of me speaking. Now I grew up in a religious household where they taught you to speak because you would speak at the church. Like I can public speak. You put me on stage. I'm amazing. I have no fear. Like it's great. And I couldn't get a speaking gig. So I was like, okay, there's something that I'm doing wrong here. And so I was willing to um, put the yeoman work in. I, I contacted people that I felt safe with and asked them, could I speak to their group? And I would do it for free or I do a workshop so that I could get um, references that I could get pictures of me speaking. And one of the ones I did, I went to this little place. uh, We have it here in Vancouver. It's called ABC country restaurant. I'm sure the name just even can give you the images of what it was like. And I was in their little banquet room, um, speaking to entrepreneurs. They were great entrepreneurs. And I took pictures of that place because I, I never want to forget the work I had to do. Right. That started it because I was able to put pictures of me speaking. And then I just kept going and applying for speaking gigs. And guess what? For the, for the ones I got, I actually had to call these places and it scared me. Um, but when I put the focus on there and I got 
two, within two weeks, I'd put like a full year of speaking gigs on my calendar. That changed everything because now I was speaking at, you know, better places. It was still local-ish, like it was around the Pacific Northwest and Alberta, Seattle, Portland. Um, but it, but I, suddenly people started to know me and I started to get a lot more clients. My first speaking gig is still paying off six years later. Yeah. Still having repeat business and people, yeah. Like if I, if I were to, that's the one talk I have kept um, track of. And to date, it's been over six figures from one 20 minute talk. Do you have a video of that talk too then? No. No, you don't. It's just, wow. It's still paying dividends six years later without a video too. That's impressive. Because it's people that heard me um, speak that would come back later. Um, then somebody hired me from there. And then they referred someone to me a couple of years later because they hired me, but they hired me because they heard me speak. So what kind of model are you doing with speaking? Are you doing a, are you making a paid offer on the stage? Are you making a free offer? Or are you just asking for email addresses? How are you? Um, so what kind of structure when you do a speaking gig, are you doing mostly content and uh, what are you doing at the end of the, um, at the end of call to action, I guess. So I've, I've played with a, f- a few things and, um, I, I find in a 20 to 45 minute talk, you don't build up enough necessarily credibility to make a, a big offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really depends on the venue. I used to offer a strategy session and I was at a, t- I was at a networking event one day and the, the speaker offered a strategy session for five people. And somebody beside me said, do they teach you that in coach school? I'm like, yeah, they kind of do. So I stopped doing that. Um, and I would always make a free offer to get somebody on my list. Um, depending on the crowd, sometimes I'd actually give a paid product away for free. Um, if I wanted as many people as I could. And I stopped offering strategy sessions. However, I would send, put a form out, which had their name, email address, phone number on it. And it's amazing how many people will just fill that out because it's there. And I had phone numbers and then I could call people and ask how they enjoyed their talk or they enjoying their free gift and take it from there and start to build relationships. Not all of them close into sales, but a few did for sure. Uh, Sure. But it took me a few years to figure that out versus waiting for people to actually ask for a strategy session. Yeah, we've had we've had a few uh, um, people who coach and and do the type of work that you're doing on uh, on our show, and and all of them uh, say basically the same thing. And even Justin and I can attest to this exact same thing, which is if you if you really want to get your uh, name out there and become a thought leader, it, the the best way to do it is to get on stage and and just talk about something and frame yourself as the the expert. But um, what about the people who have trouble doing that? Because that's not a skill that everyone can do. How do you help people that have trouble, you know, overcoming that issue of getting up on stage and owning what they, what what they are without dealing with the imposter syndrome? Um, Well, I mean, when I work with people, we do a lot of work on, on belief. So there could be a basic core belief. However, speaking is also a skill and that's out of my wheelhouse to teach people about. So I would definitely refer them out. I've hired voice coaches and speaking coaches and presence coaches, even though I was trained as a public speaker uh, from growing up because it is a little bit different. And I think that's something that I would recommend people invest in. And it's, it's not a long-term coaching thing. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing to go through when you work with a voice. And I'm not talking somebody's going to teach you how to speak to sell. There's a lot of that out there. I'm talking about a voice and presence coach that will teach you how to use your body, how to use your voice, how not to have a vocal fry. Like they give you some of the exercises that like a, a theater or singing coach would. It's a total trip because you have to be so vulnerable when you do that. They teach you breathing exercises. So that's not something I would necessarily help someone with, but I certainly have people I'd refer them to. And I'd recommend that if they were scared because it will, it will change your life um, if you can do that. So now, now you've, uh, you've kind of established yourself. You're, you're going around, you're doing a lot of speaking gigs now in 2019, in other words, 2019, and you're, I, I mean, I, I imagine you're, you're establishing your personal brand more and more. So mm-hmm. what else are you doing to establish your personal brand? I know that you mentioned before we got on the call that you have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, are you blogging as well? Are you creating, you're creating video content. I know you're doing podcast interviews like the one you're on right now. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what else, what else are you doing? Like, tell us, tell us kind of your strategy for a brand. So, so, I mean, my, I own a farm and a ranch right now. So getting out on the speaking circuit physically is, is not as easy as it used to be <laughs> when you have five horses that need being taken care of. Um, so I'm doing a lot more online. Now my YouTube channel, it, it's, um, 
it's a really small channel, but it's, I would say it's responsible for 75% of my business. And if anybody's Mm. listening, it's not, the metrics are important, but dollars matter more. And so- How many subscribers? I last I checked is like 790. It's it's okay, small. Cool. It's really small. And I have either had clients come to me who've been on my list forever and uh, a vi- one video kind of pushed them over the edge to work with me. And I've had clients that like knew nothing about me, watched a video, got an opt-in, watched a webinar, bought a program and then bought like a five-figure program. So it's worked both ways. Um, you know, I've been, when I first started my YouTube channel, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just putting whatever I wanted out there. And of course, nobody found me. And so like marketing stuff is important, right? I had no idea about keywords or research or anything. I just had stuff to say. Um, and then I started to learn about how YouTube worked. And so um, it's been a bit of a slow grind because sometimes the things that I will uh, talk about in my videos my ideal clients really resonate with, but they might not be doing a Google search for it. So like, for example, um, I have a video on, um, you know, how to avoid coffee dates because they're a waste of time, but nobody's Googling that. But I think we've all been there where someone wants to go grab coffee with us, right? So that has had the most emails, personal messages about how it affected them, but it's not like being searched. So I, as I'm learning, and I'm not going to by any means call myself a YouTube expert, I've worked with coaches on that to help me. we have a two-tier approach in my business that we do out of every four videos, let's just say a month is four, we'll do three that follow the YouTube formula with keywords and scripts and searchable content, um, which honestly isn't that exciting to me. Like, I mean, how many ways can you talk about the same thing and make it searchable? (laughs) But it's important. And then we'll do one video that's a little more produced or a little more um, conversational that's meant for the people already in my world. So, and usually those don't get a lot of views, but those get a little bit more results. So um, that's how, that's my primary marketing tool now. I'm I'm doing podcasts. Um, I I make a point to be very strategic about my travel, um, to go out and, and market and talk to people. Obviously, you guys have probably figured out I'm a big fan of personal connection. Um, like I'm online, but I don't have an online business, if that makes sense. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. like I, I'm more online network versus online market. Um, and then I meet people and I continue conversations with them. So my business is still like, I mean, I've grown a multi six figure business very organically. Um, we're getting now where we're starting. Like I'm finally, I'm seven years in, we're about to start a funnel. <laughs> like it's wow. taken me that wow. long. Are you, so, are you running uh, any paid traffic then? Are you running any Facebook ads, YouTube ads, anything like that? Not really. I mean, occasionally we'll do like a Facebook ad just for awareness or something, mm-hmm. but it's not something I've, I've really done. And I know it's something we're going to expand on, but it's, yeah, we've just, it's, it's been about really, I mean, I'm, I've been doing it the old fashioned way. And, uh, a couple more questions here. I want to know, um, two, two things. Number one is, do you have an email list and how often are you uh, emailing and how much is that part of your business? And then number two is, have you ever taken on like workshops and seminars and done that model and made a paid offer from the stage that way? Uh, so I just want to hear your answers. To sure. I do have an email list. Um, I email them at least once a week because we email our YouTube videos out to them every week. Mm-hmm. Um, other times I will have other blog style articles or just give value. And we do offers to the list for sure. Um, you know, I have a couple of digital products that occasionally will offer to the list. So we are, I am nurturing that list constantly. Um, and in terms of, of workshops and stuff, I've, I've, I've only done a couple of paid offers from the stage. Um, but I would say like for me, I maybe didn't necessarily choose the right stages. Um, that's just, <laughs> if my own coach is listening to this, he'll be saying, yeah, I've been telling you, you need to get on other stages. Wait, you've never, run your, you've never run your own event though. <laughs> Have you ever run your own event is what I mean too. Uh, yeah, I've done, a, I've done, um, I've done, I've had one event uh, a few years ago and I do small retreats myself for my own clients. Like I'm doing one here at my ranch with the horses in July. And so, you know, but those are more um, retreats. And so um, I wouldn't do an offer from the stage there, but I, or that's a stage. I mean, <laughs> from the stable, stage of my own, of my own ranch. But but there, but I definitely set it up to have points to be able to connect with people mm-hmm. afterwards. So we have calls afterwards. They're invited to my client mastermind, and so while I'm fulfilling, I'm still marketing, and that then you know the goal is to have a couple of them enroll. So that's kind of how how I do it for my own events because they're usually quite small. Um, and then we try to get a couple of new people in them and then 
clients that way. So if, if somebody uh, was, was just starting out, right. And they, they were thinking about kind of doing what you're doing, which is, you know, leaving their job and uh, just developing this type of career. Uh, what are some things that you would tell them to do? And, and what would you tell them not to do based on some of the things that you ran into some of the, maybe the, some of the mistakes that you made along the way? No coffee dates. <laughs> no, no. Uh, for a full year, I drove all over town and got one client from it. It wasn't worth it. Um, so this is going to maybe sound a little controversial, but if you are still working, get yourself a proper line of credit so that you don't, because there are going to be things that you need to, to borrow money for. And if you doing it on a credit card is really expensive. Like just get it when you don't need it. Hopefully you don't ever need it. But if you do, then you have some low cost capital you can access. There's my accounting speaking right now. Where were um, you when I needed you a couple years ago? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's one of the things you can do. The second thing is, is I would recommend, and I'm, I'm not trying to sound self-serving here, but find a mentor that you trust and can work with and make sure it's a stretch. Like don't make sure it's affordable, make sure it's the right mentor for you. And then listen to what they tell you because otherwise, I mean, the mistake I made is I bought every single thing out there and they're all good programs, but you can't do them all at once. And so, you know, I, an experienced mentor could have helped me maybe make the right decisions when like sometimes I'll recommend my clients go buy a certain program for them. Right. Cause I don't, I don't care if they go buy someone else's stuff. I'm secure in that. But somebody who kind of knew like, okay, well, what do you need right now, right? That would have helped me along. Because if you buy everything, you're going to be caught behind the computer and you're not out selling, you're not out marketing, you're, you're being yeah. a perpetual student. I, I come from a seminar background. I used to work behind the scenes for a couple, you know, six mm-hmm. figure uh, or seven figure uh, seminar leaders. And I can tell you that there are people that come that are just like seminar junkies. They just go in yeah. there, they go to like all these different seminars. Mm-hmm. They're constantly buying programs. So, I mean, that, it's almost like an addiction for some people that come to these programs and they just keep buying and buying and buying. So I, I get it. And I'm not trying to like to to bash programs because I mean some of them are so good and they've made such an impact in my business. And when I finally started doing them one at a time, it made a, a difference. So recognizing that um, being behind your computer and going through a course, or being behind your computer and writing that email, and or just staying behind your computer can feel like you've done a day's work. But at the end of the day, if the money's not coming in, something has to shift. Those things are important. And there's more important things too that have to happen that haven't come into your business. So I would say um, the biggest mistake I made was I focused on process, not sales in the beginning. And you got to flip that around. You know, uh, my, my, uh, we, my dad was a a writer and uh, he was uh, friends with Isaac Asimov and, um, uh, my mother once asked him, how do you write so much? And he says, it's all ATC, ass to chair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, it's kind of the same sort of thing where, uh, you know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta always be, you know, as you, as you mentioned earlier, driving yourself forward, like making sure that you're, uh, that you're moving forward, even if you don't feel like it. And so, so uh, what do you, how do you, Tell someone, you know, and I, I, I deal with this myself on a, on a regular basis. Like uh, when you are in the process of knowing that you need to be making the calls or uh, something and you, you're hitting resistance, uh, what do you, what would be some, some recommendations that you would give somebody just to over, like to quickly overcome those sort of blocks that they may be challenged with at that particular moment? Um, okay, so in the moment, obviously, I mean, it, it's an ongoing journey to overcome that. But in the moment, um, there's things like look at your accomplishments, be comfortable in, in what you value or, or like value what you've done. And also um, write your goals out again, like what you want to achieve. And the question that would help me a lot, and it didn't have, it's like some days the answer would be the wrong one. But most of the days it helped me get through where I would ask myself, do I, is it, more important to me to not hear no than it is for me to achieve what I want to do. And that was a question that would just wake me up. It didn't necessarily take the fear away, but it was a reality check. And when we can mm-hmm. ask ourselves those honest questions and we have to realize you're going to hear more no than yes in everything, right? But as you start to do it, 
and you start to create results, you start to create a new belief. I was just talking with a client this morning. I've given all of my clients a hundred call challenge. (laughs) They all have to make a hundred calls in the next four months. And I'm thinking I was going to do it in two months, but I gave them four months. And she said, you know, everybody I talk to, I sell something to. This works. (laughs) So now she's liking it, right? Um, But I have another client who hasn't started yet. So I, there's a little bit of work I got to do with her to help her just get past that first hump. So it's, it's different for every person, but I think it's really focusing on what you want and knowing that that phone or that iPhone or whatever it is sitting there is what's the only thing in between you and and what you want to create. And so focus on your purpose. I wanted to ask a question about, um, about structuring your content also like structuring your programs, because we've talked to, we've had a number of guests on the show and uh, how much of that, are are you surveying your audience much or are you um, like, how do you create your programs? How do you decide what goes into, like, how do you decide what goes into something? Or is that kind of intuitive when you meet with a client? Are you just sitting with one-on-one? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, and this is something that stumped me for the longest time. And I, I think having come from a corporate background where everything was different all the time, I had a hard time with the program concept myself, even though I was in programs that were really helpful to me. Um, and so I work more intuitively with my clients. My, my programs are structured in the sense of how we set up the type of calls we do. Um, however, I bring what the individual client needs to, to the session or to the, uh, to the group call. We, we mastermind, like I bring them all together to mastermind. Um, if there's something that I'm finding is a, a need in the group, I'll prepare a training on it. And this is just me, like, cause I just, I just never wanted the pressure of having to create curriculum. It's just not something I enjoyed, but everybody has, has a different way of, of working. And so if you like building out content, that's something somebody should do. It just wasn't something I enjoyed. I really geek out on the coaching process and in the moment and digging deep under the layers. Like that's, and, and that's, not something that you can put in a box or a program because it's going to happen for that person when it happens for them. It's partly why I love working with horses. Um, we can have an agenda of what we're going to work on that day. I'd say we, we usually work on it about 10% of the time because something will come up for that client in the session with the horse and it takes us a different direction and life changes for them in that. And then we'll, we'll put some practical action steps in place, but it's really working in the moment with the person to really know what's, what's going on. So I'm a little different that way in the sense that because I, I don't have massive programs, I work one-on-one at a high level with an aspect of community. I... I gave myself permission to stop freaking out about the content because that was stopping me from making money. Mm-hmm. And I just started focusing on the people. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's different for everybody, right? No, but the, it, there's a certain element of, of, of uh, wizardry, if you will. It's, it's a matter of like uh, tapping into the forces of the unseen, uh, feeling through the energy of a certain situation or what people are dealing with. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, I think, something that really can't be learned. Uh, it's something that you, you, I mean, it can be learned, but it's, it, it's really about trying to uh, work with, with energy rather than just a, a methodology. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're good at, at that type of, of, of wizardry, if you will, then, then it, it, it makes doing those types of things a lot easier. Not everybody has it. Uh, but, you know, it's also, as you were saying, the persistence. I mean, I, when you were talking about the, the 100 call challenge, I was thinking about my uh, four-year-old. And even at that age, uh, you know, if, if we go to the store, he has it in his mind that he wants a piece of candy. So he's going to do the 100 ask challenge. <laughs> Daddy, can I have this? Can I have this? Yeah. Can I have this? And, and the thing, and you got to admit, because we all have kids here, uh, that that uh, there does come that point when you're just like, okay, fine. Just here, take this. I'll get this for you. And, and they did it, right? They were able to yeah. overcome that objection enough times. They don't have that thing of just like, uh, oh God, what am I going to do today? Like, I can't make this call. I mean, there's just, they're, what if they're daddy just so says open. no? What if daddy says no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> no. yeah. Exactly. They just keep asking the same damn questions. 
So, um, so, so what's next for you? Like, what, I, I mean, are you at the point that you want to be, or, or are you like looking at expanding even more? Like, where, I don't think where, I'll ever be at the point I want to be. So, <laughs> cause when I get there, there's something else. So, um, well, where I, I mean, I, I have my eye on the property next door cause I want more land. So that's kind of my, my next thing. Um, you know, horses are a really big thing for me. And, um, on a personal level, I want to study a bit more of my, my, and it's and natural horsemanship is really what I geek out on. So that's something I want to study on a personal level. Um, in terms of my business, as we've brought forth the equine assisted coaching piece into it, it's really changed my life and that of my clients. And that's something that we are really focusing on bringing. Like even my clients, my year-long programs or VIP day, they come to the ranch and they have a session with the horses. We're starting to offer more retreats like one and two and three day private client retreats as well as group retreats with the horses. So that's the that's the next area of my business. And I just, I mean... It, that doesn't feel like work to me at all. You know, obviously I have to do the marketing and get all that ready. And that feels a little bit like work to me. Um, but the minute I get out there with the horses and the clients, I'm, I'm in my element. And so that's, and I, you know, like I, I have to pinch myself. I go like, I mean, I, I get paid to, to do this, right? It's really cool. Um, and, and they have amazing, um, like experiences. And so that's sort of how we're, we're building the business model up. And for me, what's next is just expanding that, getting better at it. Um, I, I want to, you know, take my place as like the leader in the field. I'm not there yet. I want more land. So those are the kinds of things I'm working on to build my business and really build it my own way. Um, when it comes to the coaching industry, I buck the trend a little bit because I'm not really into glamour shots. I did have some. I think my assistant put an old one on Instagram recently. I don't like it. Like you're going to see, there's more, you will never see me in a rented car or a private jet, even though I've actually flown on private jets. I, I actually have flown on them, not just taken. I'm glad you um, put that in there. <laughs> not, not, ju- not, just, not just done photo shoots, but you'll, you might see me stomping in my manure bins more than that because that's, that is my life and I like that. And so for me, really bringing that authenticity to my coaching practice, because we all know success isn't just a pretty picture. There's a lot of stuff that goes behind it and not every day is perfect. Um, and, but there's perfection in every day. And so for me, just really expanding on that piece and being the most real me that I can, that's the more I step into that and the more I lean into that, the more my business grows. So that's kind of what's next for me. That's awesome. So uh, where can we find you? Like if, if somebody wanted to work with you, get coaching from you, uh, you know, check in with your YouTube channel, uh, where can we find you? Two places, my website, nafisashereen.com and my YouTube channel is just my name, Nafisa Shireen as well. And we'll have that in the All show right. notes. So um, yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to try to spell it on your own. We'll have it in the show notes. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, uh, anything else you, you, what, what are you most geeky about, uh, at this particular space in your life? What am I most geeky about? Um, oh man, it, it's, it, it would be natural horse care. Um, I, I buck the trend, even in the equestrian industry, I, I geek out on the, the energy of horses and how to look after them and learning all I can. And that's probably because I've only started living with them for the last seven months. So it's a new learning curve for me and I love it. So in a, in a quick, I know we're running out of time here, but like a quick sentence, where did, where, like, where did your background come with, with horses and like, how did you get into uh, equine therapy or equine therapy? Like, where did that come from? Uh, accidental. Um, (laughs) I I grew up, I grew up trail riding horses and then eventually I started to lease my own and then I got my own horse and I shared him with somebody. Um, he was too much horse for me and then she got her own horse and then I was stuck with him. Uh, so I made the decision to really lean into it and overcome a lot of my own fears. And I started to really geek out on horses. I started to study natural horsemanship. I was feeling a divide because I really love coaching and I geek out on coaching and that's what I love to do. And I, I, I felt like there was these two different things. And then it, my own coach said, well, like, are you choosing between them? And that just snapped it all together one day for me to realize I could bring it together because there is a field like that. And when I recognized how much the horses have changed my life to stretch and to grow and to, you know, do things I couldn't ever imagine. Um, it, again, it wasn't one of those things that I did because I thought I could make money at it. It was something I did together because I so profoundly believe in it, having experienced it firsthand. And it just, it, and when it all came together, it was like, yeah, this is it. So, yeah. There you have it. That's so awesome. I, uh, with that, uh, I will leave you with a joke. So uh, a horse walks into a bar and says to the bartender, uh, Hello. Uh, I, I, I was wondering if, if uh, you're hiring because I need a job. 
And the uh, bartender looks at him and he says, Betty, why don't you just try the circus down the street? The horse looks at him for a long time and says, why would the circus need a bartender? Because <laughs> the bartending is a bartending horse. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, and with that, <laughs> thank you, Nafisa Shireen, for being with us today. That was amazing. I am inspired. Great interview. I mean, I think uh, for those of you wondering how to get a fast start on your business, pick up the phone. I like that. Pick up the phone. Yeah. Pick up the phone. Ask the chair. Just do it. Just do it. ATC. Is that what it was? ATC? ATC. Ask to chair. Pick up the phone. Make that call. I'm challenging each and every one of our seven listeners go out and just make that call talk to that pretty girl pretty guy whatever whatever is your thing that and, pretty horse and whatever you do the horse has consent whatever you do stay no to coffee dates say no to coffee dates because then the people are just being too cheap if they want to get a coffee take me to steak dinner don't take me to coffee yeah that's right <laughs> not only that i don't know i have no witty comeback but uh, okay Next week, we have uh, an amazing show. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have a problem that you need solved? Yeah, I do. Contact us. Iris will uh, contact you directly. Yes, Iris Garrett, our scheduler, will contact you. So thank you from all of us here at Marketing Geek.